I, I think they get disrespectful. <laughs> I, I think I really I, I think Penn State gets disrespectful this game, and I I think they're gonna smoke some uh, Villanova pack. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Lion Slayer. I am your host John Sauber, and I am joined once again, sitting next to me, Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how you doing? Doing well. Um, you know, got to see uh, my first whiteout as well. Uh, it was something. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, you know, Auburn fans were actually pretty nice. Um, I have to give them their credit. They were really good people. Um, they they came in. They offered us food walking into the stadium. So um, I told them I was part of the media and I had to get in, but. Uh, you know, I appreciate the offer, and um, you know, it seems pretty interesting just uh, being around all those uh, SEC fans. You know, it's different kind of football, but um, you know, it was a pretty great game last week. Yeah, and who knows when we're gonna get this again too? Because Big Ten teams don't play SEC teams in non-conference play. I believe this was the. Don't quote me on this because I haven't vetted this enough. But I believe this was the third ever ranked matchup between a Big Ten and SEC team in the regular season. Uh, which seems crazy, but you know that that is just sort of where things have been at with non-conference scheduling. SEC teams generally don't schedule. Uh, I mean, I guess difficult teams, right? Unless it's a neutral site game, so you don't get these home and homes. Um, next year, Penn State will go to Auburn, but this might be the last whiteout against an SEC team for a long, long time. So I think it, uh, it it was pretty cool to see. You know, too, there were a lot of Auburn fans here too. This this was the the highest number of away fans I've seen at a Penn State game in a long, long time. I grew up in the area, went to plenty of Penn State games, and, and never saw anything like this before. So credit to Auburn fans who traveled, and like you said, they, they seemed courteous. It didn't seem like any big issues. But let's get into the game. Uh, Penn State, of course, beating Auburn 20-20 to in the wideout. Main takeaways right off the bat, uh, what, what did you think of this, this Penn State performance against Auburn? Well, I think that they played a complete game. I think that, you know, when it comes to, you know, the offensive play, of course, Sean Clifford, he – he impressed. I'm, I'm going to say it. You know, I think he impressed. He had a, you know, he had a very strong game, 28 to 32 on passes for 280 yards, two touchdowns. And then that one interception was, you know, I, I blame that less on him more than he got. He got absolutely obliterated. Yeah, there was a little of, uh, last year, Sean Clifford on that one, right, <laughs> where he saw some pressure and he just yeah. heaved the ball up. Uh, he probably better off throwing that one. Yeah, away. but I mean, it. it practically was a punt so and it was at the end of the half so I mean it, it is what it is and um you know I thought I thought the O-line played great I think that was one of my biggest takeaways of this game is that the offensive line stepped up in a big way um they only allowed one sack on the game um and the sack was really an intentional grounding that you know some people called bogus but um, yeah well this is you know. this is the interesting thing to me I don't know that I've ever seen intentional grounding called a sack before, right? And if you, it depend depending on where you look for your stats after this game, they don't count it either. Like if you go into Statcast, which we use for uh, the the are the official stats, Auburn doesn't have any sacks listed. You go other places, they have one team sack listed, which would be that intentional grounding. Uh, James Franklin today, of course, and this is as good of transition as there's going to be to this. Uh, had quite a few words about uh, the the <laughs> the intentional grounding, the non-intentional grounding, um, basically everything that had to do with the officiating in this game, saying a whole lot of like, you know, I uh, he was trying to be as diplomatic as possible and say he wasn't criticizing, he was merely stating the research he has, he had done, which made it pretty clear that he was upset with the way the game was officiated. The the intentional grounding you mentioned uh, that he was called for he he said what you and I had discussed in the press box that it was clearly a choice route where the wide receiver has two options on a route and didn't choose the one Clifford thought he was going to Clifford throws the ball away and according to Franklin it can't be intentional grounding unless that quarterback's under duress and Clifford wasn't under duress so it it sort of I don't want to say invalidates that call but brings it into some level of question. And then, of course, there was the uh, the missing down, which is one of the strangest things that I've ever seen happen in a college football game. Penn State has the ball. Sean Clifford gets called for that intentional grounding, right? And so it should be second down because first down should be a loss of down. He throws a pass to Jahan Dotson, gains five yards. Then suddenly they're punting. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. The officials clearly couldn't figure out what was going on. Franklin later explained that, the officials on the field agreed it was fourth down, even though it was third, and they consulted the replay booth, who also said it was third down or fourth down, even though it was third, uh, in one of the most egregious officiating blunders I've ever seen. 
Later on, there was a personal foul that, that Franklin thought was questionable. I didn't question that as much, and there were false starts that you could question too. But this was, I mean, this might have been the worst officiated game I've ever seen. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I thought this was, and, and there were calls that went against Auburn too, uh, you know, but this was this was bad. Yeah, this was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen in my life too. I, I can't say I've seen worse. I mean, I guess – the only one that I can harken back to is, um, and this wasn't even college football. This is the NFL, but uh, it was that game where we talk about the. You remember the Saints Rams game from a couple yes, of years back? When, yeah. uh, I can't remember the cornerback, uh, the defensive pass interference call in the NFC title game. Is that what you're yes. talking about? Yeah, that yes. was that was that that was a more consequential call because yes. it ended up impacting the game. And you're right, the officiating was terrible. But to see a series of blunders, and it was like mistake after mistake after mistake with this officiating crew, and and I don't like I'm not one to criticize officials anyways. Their job is really really hard. Like it it is not easy to do. There's a lot of pressure on you, especially in an environment like Penn State, uh, where they're they'll boo you even if you make the right call if it goes against their team, right? Which happened a couple of times, like on the uh, the fumble recovery where Joey Porter Jr. ran the ball back and he was clearly down. Uh, the Auburn receiver was clearly down, but this. This was bad, you know, and, and something sort of – I don't know what you can do about it, but it was good that the SEC at least acknowledged the loss down. But this was this was, this was just atrocious. But to go back to what you said about Sean Clifford, I think that's got to be the starting point for this, right? 28 of 32, like you said, 280 yards, two touchdowns, interception. And he looked patient. And this was the thing that, that I harped on all offseason. Last year he would go progression one, progression two, as Franklin called it, and then take off. Or – in my eyes, progression one, progression one and a half, panic, run into a lineman, put himself under duress that doesn't exist, maybe take a sack, maybe fumble the ball, maybe run when he doesn't have to. This this game, there was a play in the first quarter where he stood for what felt like a minute and a half in the pocket and, and waited and waited and waited until he found an open receiver. And I think that says a lot about the progress he's clearly made and the jump that Mike Yersich has sort of opened up for him. Yeah, and uh, he, you know, he credited Mike Gersich a lot after the um, after the game, and I thought that one, you know, he, like you said, he looked more patient. He looked like his feet were, I mean, he stayed strong in the pocket. You know, it seemed like he set he actually set his feet in the pocket. Actually, you know, didn't didn't try to like you know go. I mean, we even saw him scurry a little bit earlier on in the season against Wisconsin. And I would argue that this Auburn defense was faster than Wisconsin's defense. 100%. Um, but, uh, you know, with that being said, I mean, he still didn't get happy feet in the pocket and start, you know, running outside of the pocket and trying to make bad throws <laughs> outside of the pocket. I mean, he looked way more confident. And part of that, like I said before, is because of the offensive line play. I think the offensive line, this is by far the best offensive line game that I've seen from Penn State in the past three years that I've been watching a team. Um, not from, I mean, of course, the first time, the first three years I've been, I mean, the first year that I've covered the team, but, uh, you know, it's it's night and day. I mean, they, they played way better than they even did against Ball State. And the fact is, fact of the matter is, I don't, I don't know what Coach Troutwine was doing, but whatever he did, I mean, O-line looked great. And maybe that might be because of play calling, too, from Yersich, but they all looked like they were working together as a well-oiled machine, and you have to give them credit for it, passing-wise, anyway. Yeah, and, and I thought the offensive line was fantastic, you know, in, in pass protection. I think the the other thing you have to attribute this to is uh, – attribute this to, excuse me, is Auburn, for whatever reason, was not bringing pressure, right? Like, they were comfortable sitting back and letting Sean Clifford beat them, which, like, on the surface makes sense, right? Like, okay, Sean Clifford has struggles with decision-making. He panics in the pocket a little bit when you pressure him. So, you know, if you make him try to beat you, he's not a good enough quarterback to do it. But he is when he has time to, to think and process things, right? It's when he feels pressure that things go poorly. So the, the actual idea should have been, okay, let's get pressure on Clifford, make him make bad decisions, rather than let's sit back and wait for him to make bad decisions. That was never going to happen because if you give him time, to, to sort of process what's going on around him, he will, and he'll generally succeed. Now, he wasn't uh, perfect in this game, right? Like, the, the first touchdown to Jahan Dotson was not the most accurate throw in the world. It's a tough throw. He's on the run, but Jahan Dotson had to make a play on the ball. There was a deep ball up the, the near sideline toward the press box where 
Nehemiah Hackett looked like he had an interception that was going to fall into his arms, and Jahan Dotson taps the ball to himself with one hand and hauls it in. And listen, like, when you have a receiver as good as Jahan Dotson, you can get away with some poor throws, right? Like, he's going to make some things happen. But Clifford was not perfect this game. I don't think anyone's asking for perfection from him. But this was, I thought, a big step forward for him and therefore a big step forward for the offense. Yeah, he didn't didn't make any consequential mistakes. That was the biggest takeaway that I had from this as well. His performance was that he did not make any consequential mistakes. And I don't think he did that the first two games either. I just think that in this game, not only wasn't was he not making mistakes, but he was taking chances that needed to be taken to make this win happen. And I think that, you know, in other games, maybe he, you know, kind of short changes throws. He's throwing that guy's feet because he doesn't want to get picked off. He's throwing, he, you know, he's making, he's making, uh, you know, thing like decisions under duress, but not necessarily messing up to the point that it's causing the team to lose. And I think that that's a big key to, you know, him continuing the success. Don't fumble the ball. Don't throw picks. And, you know, you win the game. And, and I think inconsequential mistakes are the kind of mistakes you can afford. And that's a great way to put it with, with Clifford is he, he's allowed to make mistakes. He's allowed to throw interceptions just as he did in this game. He's, you know, allowed to miss some throws. But when they don't have a fundamental effect on the outcome of the game, that's when you can get away with it. Now, the question is, you know, how do you define a consequential mistake? You really can't define it define it until after the game when you know the impact that that play had on it. So it's tough, but I, I think you can tell within the game flow of when those things are sort of happening. Uh, and it didn't feel like at any point, and I, I hate to judge these things based off of feel, but you almost have to, uh, it didn't feel like any of the things he did were going to prevent them from winning the game. And that ended up being how it played out. Uh, Let's flip to the other side of the ball, though, because I think this is where where things are really interesting because we've talked a lot about how Penn State, uh, their defense is going to have to carry this team. And for the first time all season, I think we saw one aspect of the defense struggle a little bit. Uh, And that was Penn State's run defense, which, you know, it's not their fault Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby are that good, right? You're not going to run into a lot of of running back duos that are that talented, Um, but you will run into some and you'll run into them when you play against Ohio State, as a matter of fact. Uh, but, you know, as long as you're not continuing to give up these kind of performances week in and week out, you should be okay. I do think this was the first, I don't, it's not even fair to call it a wart because they were really good against the run against Wisconsin, arguably a better rushing team than Auburn. But I do think that they showed that they can sort of be had in, in one way or another. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, very talented running back group. I think the offensive line played, you know, a very strong game for, you know, Penn for Auburn as well. Um, and at least in the running game, I mean, they were mauling guys. They were yeah. That poor left tackle was not having a good day in the passing yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, passing game they were getting eaten alive. But you know, ironically enough, they. I mean, how many did the Penn State have a sack? I don't believe I don't Penn believe, State. Had, I don't believe they had a ton of pressure. Had a though. sack in this game outside of. Again, whatever you would like yeah. to call that intentional grounding. I think Penn State had about seven pressures, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Well, and if you want to attribute most of them to one player, I do not have the numbers in front of me, but I would bet Arnold Ebicady had yep. a bunch of those because that dude was awesome again. And when I'm talking he's, about the He's whole, an NFL player, 100%. Oh, easily. He's, 100%. He's, he might be a – He's pushing himself higher two. up into the conversation. I think he's a day two guy. Well, and as far as I'm concerned, the ceiling's the limit there because the athleticism's there, the bend is there. The, the speed to power is there on the pass rush and, and the, the 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 technical the his his work with his hands is so good and the, this is what I'm talking about with the Auburn left tackle you could tell he knew he had a game plan against this uh, against Auburn and he would he would have a rush outside where he would rip through and then he would counter back inside every three or four snaps and the Auburn left tackle was never ready for it and he beat him almost every time and you know sometimes Bo Nix rolled out and got away or sometimes Bo Nix got rid of the ball. But Ebicady was awesome. Uh, again, you know, I, I, for as, as many flaws as uh, they, or for as much of a flaw as the running game was in this game, the uh, the the pass defense was not. They they were excellent. Um, they they were as good as you could honestly expect against again not the best passing team in Auburn, but still, you want them to perform well, and that's exactly what they did. Um, I don't know about you, I I still think this is probably one of the top three to five defenses in the country. I mean, I don't disagree. I just think that this Auburn team is going to give other teams fits too you know i mean bigsby and jark west hunter especially yes exactly and uh, i think the key is that 
you know, Auburn, I mean, we saw, we, we were watching the Alabama game before, and I mean, they struggled against Florida, and you know Auburn's going to get up for that game against Alabama. So, I mean, it could be a possibility that down the line, we're talking about Penn State getting a win over a team that beat the best team in the country. Um, because Auburn's that good, you know, with their speed and their running game. I mean, Bo Nix may still lose the game for him, but he's capable of it. Yeah, I mean, he he didn't. You know, it's funny coming into that game. I thought Bo Nix was going to be way worse than what he was, but I mean, he and he didn't have a good game by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think he he wasn't the one that lost them. The yeah, game. I don't think he did anything to, to go back to what you said about Clifford. I don't think he made any consequential mistakes. Yes, right? he exactly. Didn't, he didn't do anything that was, you know, so damning that they had no chance of coming back from it. He was fine, you know, yeah. and and fine will get you a lot of places when you have Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby. Uh, it did not get them a victory on Saturday. Um, one final note from that game while we're, while we're on it. Are you worried about the Penn State rushing attack? This, I mean, point blank, it was bad. Like there, there was there were very few bright spots. Yeah, it it didn't it didn't look great, and I mean part of that is, I think I think they have a tendency to ride, and it's not because I I don't think Noah Kane's good. I think Noah Kane's a very good running back. I just think that if you see if you look at some of the stats, and and you read that Noah Kane is averaging two point five yards per game, I think in that situation, and yes, he did run on a goal line a ton too, so we have to keep that in mind. But he also ran in the middle of the field for negative one yards. Yes, and um, you know if you see if you see Kevon Lee and John Lovett, I mean John Lovett looked really good in that game, and maybe he takes a bigger role um, since he's back now. But um, that's one of the things that I think that they need to. I, I don't know if you know it's because Jawan Sider trusts so much in Kane. And or your or you know Franklin trusts so much in Kane that they want to keep going with him even if he's not hot because they know what he is capable of doing. But even these other guys are just as capable, and that's not the harp on Noah Kane because he's cap- He also is very capable. It just is that if you have the hot hand and you have five running backs that are all good running backs, go for it. You know, go with the guy that has that's playing the best in that very moment and. Just ride him out, and if if he starts playing poorly, and you got another guy that's doing it, I mean, go to that person. That that's the luxury that they have with their running game. Yeah, and and I think uh, anyone who's heard me talk about Noah Kane, uh, really over the last two two seasons and three games, whatever we're at, knows that I've never been as high on Noah Kane as I think the general consensus is. Right, like everyone everyone sees a guy that's like a three down back. He always falls forward. Uh, can can sort of be a, a game winner for you. And I see one of those things, right? I, I, I think he's a guy that is always going to get you two or three yards um, that can fall for, well, if he has space, I should say, will get you two or three yards. I don't think he has the breakaway speed to be a game-changing type of running back. I talked about this after uh, Penn State beat Wisconsin. What makes him so good in the open field is not his, uh, his ability to make guys miss or, you know, juke them out of their shoes or anything like that. It's his balance, right? He, he's so balanced that even when guys get arms on him, when they get hands on him, they can't bring him down. So, you know, he, he's able to get pick up some extra yards. But he's just not explosive enough to be that guy consistently. And so I think, honestly, if Penn State wants to play the most explosive guy that it seems like they're willing to play, I think John Lovett has to be that guy. He only had three touches for 27 yards in the game. He had two carries for nine yards, one six, one three, uh, and an 18-yard reception. But in that limited time, he looked like the most explosive back in Penn State's room. Yeah. And what's interesting about Lovett is that he's six foot, basically two ten. He has the power and size to run with, between the tackles and be the guy that picks you up a few yards when you need it. But he's also really fast. Uh, he's a one cut back who can put a foot in the ground and go and get downfield um, and and break a big one. And he he seems to be doing well in pass protection. Again, we have a limited sample size there, but I thought he was good in pass protection on uh, on Saturday. Clearly, Penn State trusted him enough to put him in late in the game. Um, I thought the, the reasoning on him not playing the first two games was interesting. Uh, R- Chris Fowler uh, evidently said during the broadcast in the third quarter that he was suspended for two games for whatever reason. Um, James Franklin was asked about it today and was sort of like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know that was said on the broadcast, so I don't 
we don't know why he was out. Franklin seemed to intimate that they that they just wanted to find a time to use him properly, which I think is interesting. But who knows why he was out? But the point is, he's in now, um, and I think if he is going to be in now, he's going to be their best back. Um, I said at the beginning of the season, my bold prediction was that Kaziah Holmes would lead the team in rushing yards. Whoops. It uh, doesn't seem like Kaziah Holmes is going to get many rushing yards at all unless they're they're blowing other teams out for whatever reason. They don't they don't want to seem to give Holmes those kind of opportunities. Maybe it's his youth. Maybe it's his inconsistency. But uh, if it's going to be limited to the other four guys then, I mean, Lovett is the best combination of dynamic, which, you know, Devin Ford brings a lot of dynamism, but is not uh, between the tackles runner, not a big, powerful guy. And uh, Kane and Lee, who are big, powerful guys, but don't have the the, the dynamism that Lovett does or, or Ford does. So I think Lovett is going to be the the best of both worlds for Penn State moving forward, <laughs> assuming Kevon Lee is going to keep fumbling, right, or is going to keep running backwards and getting benched for it. Uh, he fumbled the ball on Saturday, and I don't believe he played another snap after that, which is not all that surprising given how teams handle fumbles nowadays. Uh, given that he got benched after Wisconsin, after he had a couple runs where – he tried to make too much out of nothing and and ended up back going backwards eight yards. So this running back rotation, I think, is going to be one of the fascinating things to watch the rest of the year because it seems like every other position in this offense is sort of settled in, right? Like they've got Dotson, Washington, Lambert Smith at wideout. Clifford's the obvious quarterback. Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson are, are the clear two best tight ends. And Tyler Warren has a role who still seems to be really good too. The offensive line seems to be set, and, and they have four, maybe five running backs that they're willing to use. You know, So I, I'm interested to see and in seeing how that rotation plays out, especially this weekend against a Villanova team that should let them play all five guys. Yeah, and I mean, it's like you said, I, I think I think now you gotta you got to let everyone get involved in this Villanova game, of course. Um, I, I mean, both of us think that we'll see what happens, but I, I think by – you know, the third quarter, Taquan Roberson's in the game. I think that, you know, you could get your young backs some carries. I think that Tyler Warren, maybe you test out the Wildcat a little bit more, let him actually toss a couple passes. That's what I'm rooting for. Yeah, I, I want to see it. I mean, he was a high school quarterback, so. Plus, that, I mean, Tyler Warren, I mean, when we saw him on the field, too, after the game, that guy's large. He's huge. He's like six foot six they say he's six six but he's really like six seven he might be my height i think if i remember correctly he had i don't know how high profile of offers but i believe he had offers to play quarterback in college so i don't like this isn't like oh he was just a high school quarterback because he was the best athlete on the team which happens like that was the case with lonnie white who was at one point committed to penn state now playing uh, in the pittsburgh pirates minor league system but Sometimes you just put your best athlete at quarterback and let him go. Tyler Warren was an actual quarterback for a good bit uh, and could do that, you know, I, I mean, probably not at this level, but could do it sparingly. And there's, uh, you know, there's, there's packages where you, you know, want to want to sort of throw the defense uh, off or want to catch them off guard, want to want to make something happen that they're not expecting. But I, uh, we don't, we don't have to t- spend a lot of time talking about this Villanova game, quite frankly. Uh, they Villanova number 11 team in FCS, uh, but nonetheless, in FCS for a reason, Penn State should smoke the Wildcats. Like, this game should not be close. And if it is, well, Penn State's got a whole lot of other issues to worry about. Um, I think you you hit the nail on the head. This is about getting as many guys as much playing time as they can. Like, they have to get some of these guys on the field. This is their last opportunity, I think, to get take one Roberson meaningful snaps. And if Sean Clifford's not back next year, and Taquan Roberson is expected to be the starter. He needs to go in with more playing time than he's had so far. And, and I totally agree. And I think that Taquan Roberson, let's let's see how he's different than Clifford in this upcoming game too. You know, maybe you, you scheme something up for him that's specific to his talents, the specific to his skill sets. And, you know, I, I think that one, I mean, we've seen Taquan Roberson in practice. I think he... He he throws an accurate ball. You know, he looks accurate. He looks He's just got to do it on every play. Yes, exactly. And that that's where it comes into, you know, I think he he's more controlled than I think Clifford can be, but um at the same time, you know, we saw what happened in the Ball State game that first drive that he went on, and then the second drive he looked great. So I mean, honestly, if he's if he can go in and and do things like that and you can use his you know, I think his poise that's the one thing that I, I, we have to talk about with Taquan Roberson is that I think he is a very 
he's a calming presence, you know. He's not the same as Sean Clifford, who I think is more of a rah-rah guy, who I think he plays with his heart on his sleeve. I don't think Taquan Roberson's like that. I think he's more of a cerebral guy, you know, a guy that is, you know, going to be a little bit more controlled, not not try to do too much. And, I, you know, I want to see what he can do. I want to see how he can contribute to this offense and, you know, work with uh, some of the other younger receivers, too, that might be able to get into this game next week. I mean, this week. Yeah, and, and I I think that's that's exactly right. Like, we, we just need some film of Take One Roberson. When I say we, I mean everyone, right? Like, there, there's, there's not much information about him. It's tough to formulate an opinion. Even what we've seen in practice, like, it's so limited. How, how do you know what's real and how do you know, you know, when you caught him in a bad session, right? Like, did we just watch the 20 worst minutes of practice he had over the last week and a half or did we watch something that's actually representative of what's happening consistently in practice? There's, there's no real way to know. Uh, the only way to know definitively is to see him playing games like he did against Ball State a little bit. Like you said, he, he missed an RPO pretty badly on the first drive. Second throw of the game was a nice ball on a corner route to Theo Johnson for a touchdown on a rollout. Like He's capable of good things. It's just about putting it together. And um, I, I can't remember if it was Mike Yersich or James Franklin. One of them said that basically when he sort of knows what he needs to do in a play, he's good. But if he's like, you know, not not fully prepared, doesn't isn't fully ready pre-snap, then things can go a little uh, awry for for Roberson. But yeah, I mean, he he's gonna get some playing time Saturday, right? Like he's he's gonna get some time in this game. Penn State should win by twenty plus points at the very least, probably like I said, closer 30, 40, um, because they're that much better than Villanova. I think the 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 curious part of this is we always hear James Franklin, you know, one and zero, one and zero, one and zero, blah blah blah. Like that's and and rightfully so like it, it keeps you in the moment it helps you win games in the moment I do wonder then if they're going to prepare Roberson as if he's going to get meaningful playing time and how much that could affect how much he or how he plays when he's in right like you said about scheming stuff up for Roberson I think that would be smart but if they're going by one and oh he's not going to get any time and he's not going to get any anything schemed up for him he's just going to step into the offense that Clifford runs whenever time calls for it so I'll be curious to see how exactly they handle that situation I know I would just it, – it doesn't have to be like a quarter's worth of plays. Just draw up a series or two of plays for him that you know he will help him succeed when that time comes because even if even if Villanova keeps it close, you would have to think near the end Roberson will get in and have a chance to run the offense. Let's do some predictions for this game because we may as well do them even though we are both sort of expecting uh, the worst for Villanova. I will let you go on the record first as I am one to do. Uh, what do you got for this Penn State-Villanova game? 60 to 7. Oh boy. <laughs> Coming in hot and heavy with 60 to 7. I'm not about to go there, but I, I, I think they get disrespectful. <laughs> I, I think I really I, well, I think Penn State gets disrespectful this game and I think they go 60 to 7 because you know, it, it, it's funny cuz I I look at Alabama's schedule and Alabama always at the at, at the complete end of the season just about they end up having some little sisters the of the poor game. Yeah. <laughs> And then they go and blow them out by, like, it'll be, like, I don't even know. They do, like, Maryland to Howard things, like, when Maryland beats Howard, like, 70-something to, like, six. But I think that, you know, Penn State's going to get up, and I think they're going to smoke some uh, Villanova pack tonight. So, yeah. Or I guess on Saturday. I can't go that far. I I will go. We'll lean into the Penn State defensive thing here, and I'll go 48 to 10. Um, we'll get a nice field goal in there from Penn State, to, or two field goals in there from Penn State to get Jordan Stout some extra work. Uh, I would, I would, I think Franklin will probably call off the dogs. Plus, listen, Villanova is not the Citadel, and that they're the number eleven team in FCS. And again, it's still FCS, but like some respect for themselves, <laughs> and we'll when we'll try to put up some level of fight uh, for all four quarters. Um, but we have already we've already talked about Villanova more than I anticipated, considering what this game should look like. For all intents and purposes, Penn State should be 4-0 after Saturday's game. I don't know that uh, there, there's really any major scenario where that's not the case. So so let's take this big picture then. All right, Penn State's coming off a 3-0 start, which is not one that I predicted. Right, I, I said that they would lose to one of Wisconsin or Auburn. Well, they beat both, and they also beat Ball State. And now they're 3-0, and the college football playoff picture as a whole is completely uh, gone to the wind. Like, no one knows anything about anyone right now, it seems. 
big picture wise, where is this offense right now compared to where you thought it would be at this point prior to the season? Uh, passing offense looks way better than a rushing offense. That's one thing that I'll say, and that's very surprising to me. Um, I think that helps them in the long run with that the passing offense is like this because I think the rushing offense can get better. Um, so, I mean, that that gives them a little bit of a, you know, a good handle on things. Now, well, one thing I will say is that, you know, in the rush offense, I think I, mean, I guess the rush defense, like let's flip it over to the other side. I think that the rushing defense got – they got pounded a little bit against um, – Auburn and I mean of course it's Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter it's nothing to sneeze at but you know let's say Penn State is ranked number four or I guess they had a fourth seed in a in a college football playoff and they have to play against Alabama uh Alabama has every single running back known to man plus their cousin plus their uh you know their their uncle plus uh you know whoever you can think of they might uh, be able to bring back Derrick Henry I mean honestly Trent Richardson's coming back even well, though he won't one, find yeah, he won't find the tackles that but one's, uh, that one's the Penn State's advantage you know Mark Mark Ingram uh he'll turn back the clock somehow uh they'll randomly say hey Jalen Hurts can you suit up and play running back today he'll find the tackles too uh but yeah that I mean that's yeah. that's a good point like they're going to if they their aspirations are that high, the run defense has to be better, right? And and to stick with the run defense, we can circle back to the offense later, or to the stick to the defense in general, we can circle back to the offense later. I think this defense as a whole is better than I expected, right? I did not expect. Um, I mean, we all thought they would be good. Like, we all thought Jaquan Brisker would be good. We all thought Joey Porter Jr. would be good and, and Tariq Castro-Fields and you know, the, the secondary would be good, and whoever started, and that's Jair Brown right now at, at the other safety spot, we thought they would be good. I don't know if I thought they would be this good, and I don't know that anyone thought Arnold Abikady would be this good. Uh, he has been such a difference maker that it elevated them. Preseason, as many will remember, I frequently called this a top 20 to top 15 defense. To earlier tonight, I said this is probably a top three defense in the country. I think there's a chance at the end of the year it's the best defense in college football. And I don't know that I thought that was possible uh, because I didn't think they had the pass rush and I didn't think that they would frankly stop the, uh, you know, be able to stop number one receivers as well as they have, uh, you know, just with the, the the game planning and the play calling by Brent Price. So credit to him for that. But I think the, the major difference maker here is Ebba Katie and Jesse Lakeda and what they've provided as pass rushers. They've both gotten to the quarterback, and they've both gotten to the quarterback frequently enough to throw them off their game, and I think that's been a huge difference. Yeah, when you can ping your ears back, blitz those guys, and you guys have top-flight safeties on the back end, I, I mean, that's huge because now even though your corners are as good as they are, I mean, these corners are outstanding. But then you also have Jair Brown on the back end, and then you add Jaquan Brisker, with the, with, and plus the edge rushers are getting the job done, cleaning up. They may not be able to get sacked sometimes just because of, you know, quarterbacks getting the ball out quick, and that's what they need to do to succeed against them. But, I mean, on the other hand, I mean, it's it's causing more problems. I mean, the receivers aren't turning around quick enough a lot of times because the ball's flying out. So now because you have these great – I mean, you have these great defensive ends, and then you also have these, you know, cornerbacks that are playing tight. You have uh, safeties over the top that – you know, you're daring them to throw over the top on you because you know you can pick the ball off. I mean, that's a good problem to have. And that's not even to mention the front seven. I mean, well, the rest of the front seven. I mean, you know, I think P.J. Mustafer has been playing very good football. You know, I, I think P.J. Mustafer has shown that, you know, he he's, he's a very good player. I mean, it's nothing I, – I can't say anything more than, you know, the leadership that he's shown – and the fact that, you know, he's been he's been the right kind of guy to have. And I, I think not only that, but like as a defensive tackle too, I mean he's he's athletic. He's an athletic defensive tackle. It's not like you got a a guy with slow feet, you know, playing that position, which I think is a very good situation for them to be in. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing about Mustafer is because of his size and I mean he said he's up to three twenty five now at six foot four. I think people view him as a true nose tackle, and that's not the case, right? Like he's a really good athlete. He was a wrestler in high school. 
Um, uses his hands incredibly well because of that. Knows his leverage. Uh, knows how to take advantage of, of other interior linemen. Um, and, and, and frankly, like you said, he's been excellent this year. Um, and a lot of guys have stepped up in a big way for the defensive line that, have, that has allowed the corners to, to not have to cover as long. Uh, it's allowed the, the safeties to try to make plays on the ball more because it forces the quarterback into worse decisions. Uh, when guys like Mustafer do have to take up space, they take up that space. And then you have linebackers freed up to make plays on the ball. So they've, they've really opened everything up. Like everything is working cohesively right now. The defensive line is helping the linebackers. It's helping the secondary. The secondary is helping the linemen, so on and so forth. Like it is, everything is gelling perfectly. And adversity will come at some point, in, in who knows what form. And we'll see how they handle it. Maybe that was just this Saturday, and this was as bad as it gets for Penn State, right? Like, oh, no, you gave up a bunch of rushing yards to a really good rushing team and still won the game. Yeah, it's a pretty good outcome if that's the worst thing that happens to your defense all year. So I think overall – Penn State's defense is a lot better than I expected when I expected them to be really good, and that's a great place to be. But let's let's circle back to the offense real quick. We talked a little bit about Clifford. Let's go to the other focal point here. How has Jahan Dotson performed compared to your expectations this season? I mean, this is exactly how I expected him to play, to be fair. I thought, I mean, coming into the season, I'm like, Jahan Dotson, the top two receiver in the, in the conference. I mean, him and Olave, I'm, I'm thinking, and you could go either way. And then, of course, Maryland now has some candidates as well with uh, Demas and yeah, Rakeem, Rakeem Jarrett. Rakeem Jarrett's really good. Yeah. Um, but it's it's like I, I look at Dotson, and I'm like, he can make anything happen. You know, you need him to go out and make that catch that he made early on in the game when it was a clear interception. Um, but he went up and he rose up and he caught the ball and got a first down. I mean, that – that to me, those those small things that Jahan Dotson does, and then not only that, the fact that you know he had a little bit of toe drag swag in the back of the end zone on a right on a right shoulder. I mean, that's that's exactly what you need. You need your big game players to step up, and that's exactly what Jahan Dotson did. He's you know he's outstanding. I mean, he's he's one of the best players that I've seen at the receiver position come through Penn State, and that's saying a lot because there have been really good guys in the past. 10, 15 years. I mean, Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson and, you know, KJ Hamler, all those guys. I mean, it, it's just, you, you see Jahan Dotson and he's another guy in that list. Yeah. And, and I'll say he, he's honestly been better than I anticipated. And I don't think that's, uh, I, I think you and I probably came to the same place preseason, right? Like he's clearly one of the best receivers in the conference. I think he might be the best receiver in the country. Like, I, for as good as Chris Olave is, I think Jahan Dotson's better with the ball in his hands. Uh, the catch radius is similar. Both are easily able to shake guys uh, when running their routes. Both both have excellent hands. I just think Jahan Dotson's more of a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. Uh, and he doesn't I, – I described it this way in, in The Good, Bad, Ugly this week. You can read that at centerdaily.com. He's not the uh, – the first guy off the bus, right? He's not some mammoth wide receiver. He's not DK Metcalf rolling in at 6'3", 230 pounds, and is chiseled like an Adonis. Uh, He is instead a smaller guy who wins with his craft and his technique and also with his blazing speed and quickness. Like this is not... This is not, you know, 4-6-4 Jahan Dotson. This is 4-3 Jahan Dotson, uh, making plays at all three levels of the field. Uh, he can make anybody miss at any point in time. Uh, I think he might be the best receiver in college football, like I said, but the way he's performed sort of tracks with what I've seen from the rest of the offense. He's better than I anticipated, and in part because of that, the rest of the offense is better than I anticipated. Uh, he is he is open things up for the other receivers in a way that didn't that I didn't expect. I mean, Parker Washington is playing very well. Him and, well, and, and, and Keandre Lambert-Smith as well. And, and part of that, the reason they're able to is because Dots is getting all the attention, right? There was a there was a route on a third down, I think it was in the second quarter on the drive where Dotson had his 22-yard completion. Where, by the way, he threw the ball, completed a pass too. Go figure at this point with how much success he's having. Um, but he he, he ran in, in uh, an out route – and Washington ran a slant, and they were stacked on the left side of the, the uh, line of scrimmage. Dotson goes out. Washington goes in. Safety and cornerback, both of them had their eyes on Dotson. I've watched this play too many times on replay because it's it's a testament to how much teams play uh, pay attention to Dotson. Both guys are looking at Dotson. So what happens? Parker Washington's wide open in the middle of the field for a, uh, a first down in 10 yards. 
Like, listen, if you, you can make a lot of guys look really good if you're going to give them that much space. And now Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert Smith are that good. And they're able to look that good because of, because of what Dotson creates for them. So I just think he's opened up the entire offense in a way that, that I didn't anticipate. And he's made Clifford look good to some extent that, that I didn't anticipate. The running game, I think, is going to be an issue moving forward uh, until Lovett starts to see more of those touches and can really be dynamic and, and make big plays. But as far as I'm concerned, I did not expect this to be a top 20 defense or top 20 offense in college football. I think it probably is right now. Yeah. And, and, and if they're a top 20 offense and then they have a, uh, you know, like you said, top three defense, I mean, sky's the limit for them, I think. Um, I, I think, um, you know, we're not going to get any crazy ideas and say this is a national championship team. However, you know. However. Could, <laughs> however, they could get in the college football playoff if things shake up the right way. Of course, you got to beat Iowa and you still, I mean. Ohio State is Ohio still State sitting there on is, Halloween yeah, weekend. Yeah. Exactly. They might not be the Ohio State University right now, but they're still <laughs> Ohio State University, which is just as scary, and they still have a ton of talent. Their defense looks a little shaky, but that was never their strength. You know, their strength was always their offense, and, you know, when you put strength on strength, that's going to be a tough matchup for Penn State. And then Iowa, I mean, they just play so physically. They play a brutal style of football that I think um, – you know, Penn State's seen with Wisconsin, but the talent wasn't the same as it was with Iowa. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and that's an excellent transition to the next thing we're going to talk about here, and that's sort of the, the national landscape and where Penn State falls in. I do think the interesting thing with Ohio State is not only is it like strength on strength with Penn State's defense against Ohio State's offense, it might be the best offense in the country against the best defense in the country, uh, which is – a lot of fun. You know, I am very excited to watch that play out and, and see what happens. But, but let's talk about things nationally, right? Penn State is ranked number six in the AP pool. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the AP pool has zero impact on all of college football. Uh, has none, right? Like the, the college football playoff rankings that come out November 2nd are completely independent of that, made up of a committee that does not vote in the AP pool, is not supposed to take into account what AP pool voters say. They're supposed to take into account resume. So what I think we should actually talk about here is not the fact that Penn State's number six in the AP people. It's what them being number six means and how they got to that point and how it could affect them with the college football playoff. So Penn State has won two games against teams ranked in the AP people, but also perceived to be good teams nationally, uh, which is important. And, and Auburn and Wisconsin, Wisconsin being on the road in the season opener too, I, I think it makes that more impressive. They've beaten a Ball State team that won the MAC last year and returned almost the entire starting, almost every starter on offense and defense. And they, they did it in dominating fashion. And now looking ahead, they have potential matchups against good teams in Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Maryland, Rutgers, and Iowa, and maybe Indiana, depending on how you feel, Indiana. How do you think Penn State shapes up the rest of the way in the national picture? And do you think there is a real opening for them to be the four seed in the college football playoff. And I, I mean, you know, I, I look at this team and I think that, you know, like I said, if they go ahead and, you know, completely, if they play the way that I think they could play, and if if that Auburn game, I don't even think Auburn, that game that they played against Auburn was their best game. If that's not your best game, I mean, that's pretty freaking good. I'll say that yeah, right best now. Best game better come on October 30th. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, really, before that, if we want to keep it honest, I yeah, mean, it gets to Iowa. So, you know, I, I think that they have to they have to step up. I mean, you go you go on, on the road against Iowa and you go on the road against, uh, you know, Ohio State. I mean, it's just you got to punch them in the mouth. You got to go out and, and punch them as hard as you possibly can, stagger them. And then next thing you know, just running game has to get going. It has to. You know, if they can't get it going – Especially against Ohio State, who was just CJ Verdell destroyed them in the running game. Yeah, and for you Oregon, have, you have talent. You know, you have running talent is there. Um, offensive line, they have to block better in a run game. I think that's part of it. Um, you know, I saw some guys get jacked up <laughs> a little bit in a run game. Not gonna lie, but uh, you know, passing wise, they they made it happen. I mean, they were. At times, they weren't even running play action a lot. <laughs> they were just straight up throwing, chucking the ball downfield without running play action, which is, you know, gutsy to me, especially considering that Penn State, you know, coming into the season, we thought they were more of a running team. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it's been working to their advantage. But, like, if you get that play action going, if the run game's good, I mean, Sean Clifford, there's no reason why he couldn't throw for 300 yards with the talent that he has a receiver and tight end. Well, and, and that's the, the thing with this Penn State offense is I don't know that they ever will run true play action, right? They're going to always run RPO game. They're always going to have an option to hand the ball off if they want to, an option on a quick pass if they want to. Um, so I, I, I don't know that we'll ever see true play action but I do think they need to get the running game going because, well, if teams can key on Sean Clifford and just bring the pressure against him, then they're going to be in trouble. Uh, it's, it goes back to what we said about Auburn. If they had just brought pressure and tried to make life difficult for Sean Clifford, then maybe life would have been difficult for Sean Clifford rather than letting him pick them apart. Um, I, I, I think the, the question here isn't like, oh, can Penn State go undefeated? Sure they can, and if they do, they'll be in the playoff. I think the question is, can they lose one game and make the playoff? And I think the way the resume is shaping up, I think they've got a legitimate chance to do that, which heading into this year, I, n- I would not have said that, right? I would have thought Wisconsin would be a good win if they could get it. Auburn could be a good win if they could get it. And then maybe maybe one of those back-end Big Ten teams at the back end of the schedule, Michigan, Michigan State, Rutgers, Maryland, whoever. Now, if they get one of those losses, it'll probably be to Ohio State or Iowa on the road, which is like fine. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to get dinged all that much for losing that game. And to back it up, they'll have wins over Auburn and Wisconsin, and they would have wins over one of those two teams, either Iowa or Ohio State on the road, along with wins over Michigan uh, at home, Michigan State on the road, Maryland on the road. Like, they would have a ridiculous resume to the point that as long as they keep it close, if they lose one game, no matter who it's to, even if it's to Rutgers, like coupled with wins over Ohio State and Iowa, I think they probably make the playoff. Uh, and that's not a spot I thought they'd be in heading into this year. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I neither did I. I mean, even even though I did have them at 10-2 and two at the beginning of the year, and I think 10-2 and two is nothing to sneeze at. I think but, you might have undershot it. And, yeah. Uh, not as much as I did, though. Yeah. And that's that's crazy to think because, I mean, me and you both said, like, you know, I, I said about 10. You said, what was it, 9? I, I think I settled at 9, but I wanted to go with 8, yeah. but I couldn't do it. And you know what? Good for me for yeah. not going with eight. Clearly would have been a dumb decision. Yeah, and I, you know, to me, I thought, one, you're coming back off of a season where I think that, I think O-line-wise, I mean, they can't play as well. I don't. I didn't think the O-line could play as well if they didn't have a full offseason to prepare, and I think that was a huge aspect of it. I think they played way better in the last four games of the season last year. Um, and then not only that, but then you turn around this year, you have – you know, I think all the receivers, the young guys that are, you know, getting involved, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, and then Jahan Dotson doesn't have to fully carry the load anymore. Um, the two tight ends that they have in Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, I think they give you a different look as well. And then not only that, but Mike Gersich. And then we, we knew the defense was going to be good. We knew the defense was going to be good. I, I we don't, don't know if we need, knew they were going to be this good. Yeah, I didn't know if we uh, – yeah, we didn't know they were going to be this good, but we knew they were going to be good. And the fact that the offense is playing above what we thought they were going to play, I think that's good enough for – to me, that's good enough for 10 wins, knowing how talented this team is. But if they continue to play like this, I mean, they could beat a lot of teams. I'm not saying they could beat Alabama – but could they beat Florida? Listen, Alabama looked vulnerable. I, yeah. I, that's the, the crazy part about all of this. If you asked me to tell you who the best team in college football right now is, I would say Alabama. I wouldn't be that convinced, though. They almost just lost in the swamp to Florida. Clemson, I think Georgia is, Clemson looks like their offense is horrendous. Like, Clemson cannot move the ball at all. Which, like, Georgia might have the actual best defense in the country. Them and Penn State are sort of in that jostling for that position right now. Uh, but, again, their offense isn't that great. And so there are flawed teams, and like this might be one of those years where the doors just sort of open for them to make something happen. Now, Georgia, we'll have to see uh, when they face other good defenses. They face Clemson, which is good, and then they shredded a, a, a really, really bad South Carolina team uh, this weekend. Um, but to go back to sort of the the grand scheme of things for Penn State, I think the, so the, two, the three losses that I had originally projected, right, were they would drop one of Auburn or Wisconsin, well, they won both of those, so now it's down to two potential losses. And I thought they would drop one of Iowa or Indiana. Well, Indiana's not that good right now. They don't look as good as they did last year anyways. They could still probably be an eight-win team, you know, at worst probably seven wins. But that doesn't look like a loss at home for Penn State. So now it's like, do I think they're going to lose to Iowa? Maybe, but probably a 50-50 shot. 
So realistically, the worst case scenario for Penn State at this point is probably 10 and 2. Um, and that's a that's a pretty good worst case. And I think a lot of that has to go back to Mike Yurcich and what he's done for this offense this year, how much he's brought stability to the offense, and how they're sort of winning how they did when Joe Moorhead was the offensive coordinator. They're hitting their big plays. They're not turning the ball over all that much. And they have dominant receivers who can make things happen when they need to. And listen, it seems like a pretty simple formula, but it's uh, worked out pretty well for Penn State so far. Yeah, and I don't, I don't see it getting any... I don't see it getting any harder for them offensively. I think they're going to get better, if anything, offensively. I think, you know, for them, yes, they're going to they're, they're going to find tough teams like Iowa, of course, to play against. And, you know, Iowa's going to give them a run for their money. If not, you know, I don't think anyone's crushing Penn State, though. I think Penn State doesn't get crushed by most teams, maybe maybe Georgia, maybe Alabama. but I think even the then, only way a team on their current schedule crushes them is if Ohio State just starts boat racing. Because Ohio State's offense is good enough, I don't think their defense is. Penn State should be able to keep up. But if Sean Clifford sort of gets in his own head, starts getting in his own way and turns the ball over a few times, you could see like a three-score game. But I think you're right. Outside of that, like their defense is just too good to get beaten up that badly. Yeah, and and not only that, but Mike Gersich hasn't pulled all the cats out of the hat right now. I mean, he just hasn't done it yet. And, I mean, this offense could still get more dynamic as the time goes on because we haven't seen anything from this offense yet. And I, I don't think – like Noah Kane said again after the Ball State game, um, we legitimately have not even seen a quarter of the offense. Maybe 50, We've maybe seen 15% of the offense so far. And that's that's nothing in comparison to what we could see. You know, that those trick plays that he, that they called – I mean, that that could just be a portion. Maybe they pull out the old Philly special. Well, let's not do that after watching how poorly it worked. Yeah, it didn't work. The old silly special uh, this past weekend by the Eagles was not a lot of fun to watch for me. Uh, But, no, I think you're right. I think more importantly than trick plays is uh, utilizing more personnel packages. They went to 13 personnel a decent bit so far. Not not a ton, probably, you know, less than 10 to 15 plays at this point, but – Going three tight ends should work. Tyler Warren's really good. Theo Johnson's really good. Brent Strange is really good. Get those guys on the field together, make things difficult for the defense. Who knows? Maybe you'll run the ball a little bit better, too, uh, having that sort of size out there. Uh, but, I mean, th- listen, th- this team is better than we anticipated, right? I think that's safe to say. Even, you know, you predicted 10-2. and two. I think they're probably performing better than you would have perceived. Um, I obviously can't speak to that. It was your prediction. But I think, all in all, they just are a better football team than – than a lot of people saw coming at the beginning of this season. Yeah, and that's nothing to sneeze at for Penn State. I mean, they they came in, they they've outperformed expectations so far, and uh, you know if it keeps going on, you know maybe we'll be having fun somewhere in a in a warm city um, at the end of the season. Listen, hopefully. I will not complain about any trip to any bowl game. <laughs> just just send me there. I will enjoy it greatly. Uh, there will be no complaining on my end. I probably won't even complain when we have to drive to Maryland here in a few uh, few weeks, whatever it is. Well, I know I won't. Oh, I know you won't be. I mean, all the food. Listen, if you just feed me crab cakes, like that's fine. You send me anywhere. Just feed me the local food, shove it down my face, and then we're fine. Nothing, nothing else has to happen on those trips. Uh, but food is a good way to end it here today because I am hungry. Uh, but no, uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Lion's Lair. Uh, you can find all of Kyle and I's work at centerdaily.com. You can subscribe to Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. Um, you'll find all of our coverage for Penn State football, all Penn State athletics. Kyle's coverage of preps as well is all there. He's done an excellent job. Uh, you know, I don't need to keep saying it. He continues to do excellent work. Um, you can find both of us on Twitter. I'm at John Sauber. Kyle is at Kyle J. Andrews underscore. Please rate, review, and subscribe this podcast on the podcast platform of your choosing. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.